Hey guys, this is Bryant here. I just wanted to record a quick uh, young adult podcast episode. As you can see, I'm not going live with this one. I'm just going to record it. I didn't really give enough time for anyone to be able to log on anyways. And so I hope that uh, this this little talk finds you well. I'm actually going to reiterate a lot of what I talked about at our most recent first Monday gathering, which was just this week. Um, we talked about worship, and the night was all revolving around worship. We got to worship together. We got to praise God, put him on the throne of our hearts. But there's a concept in here that I feel like I, I wasn't able to really drive in and hit the hit the final blow on it. So I'm going to explain that now. Um, surprisingly, we were looking at Deuteronomy when we're talking about worship here. I don't know why I say surprising. I guess it's because a lot of times you would expect to be looking at either maybe Psalms if you're looking in the Old Testament or looking in the New Testament a lot of the time, which we did talk about some New Testament scripture on Monday. But Deuteronomy 12 is a, a pretty great place to get some th- theological information about worship, about God's expectations for worship, about what he desires for worship. One thing, whenever you're reading Deuteronomy, whenever you're reading the Torah, the books of the the law books of the Old Testament, you have to remember that a big desire and intention that God has and had and always will have for his people is that they would be different from the world around them. That there'd be a great contrast between someone who's a Jesus follower and a secular person who just lives their life without God. God's desire is that there is a marked difference between those two lifestyles and that anyone can look at a Jesus follower and know something is different about them. So we read these books of the law of the Old Testament and we gain a better understanding of God's desire for his people to be different from the worlds around them because holy used in a lot of contexts just means set apart, simply means set apart different from the world around us, different from the world. So when God calls us to be holy, he says, be holy as I am holy. When God calls us to be holy, he's calling us to be different from the world around us, to not adopt the sinful things that the cultures around us love. The, the, uh, back then it was the false gods. Nowadays, uh, a lot of people don't worship false gods. There are people who do, but really it's, it's secular thought processes. It's putting yourself before other people, but it's it's making yourself your own God. And in that way, it's idol worship. So when God says, be holy for I am holy, when God says, be holy, it's really easy for us to, to understand that it, it's real simple. Just be different from the world around you in a godly way and seek God and pursue God. So in Deuteronomy 12, And we have to remember, Deuteronomy is a collection of Moses' speeches. So we know that the first uh, five books of the Old Testament, we call the Pentateuch, also called the Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, these books were brought to us through Moses, not by Moses, brought to us by God, but brought to us through Moses, uh, who was inspired to write them on Mount Sinai. But we look at Deuteronomy, even though the content is authored by Moses through speeches, it takes a second second person point of view 
uh, in the narrative writing. So there's a there's a narrator, there's the voice of a narrator writing Deuteronomy, who which is the content of Moses's speeches. And I can't remember. I think there's like four or five different big speeches that Moses did, which uh, a lot of people call Deuteronomy Moses's greatest hits, because we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all with these different laws, history, understanding of how Israel got to where it is. And uh, then Deuteronomy, for a lot of those, kind of recapitulates what we see in the first four. And kind of, it's like, like I said, his greatest hits just gives another look into a lot of those concepts that are in the first four books of the Old Testament. So we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 12. We're remembering it's a it's an inspired speech that Moses gave to the people of God. And the intention for a lot of these speeches, we and there's many intentions, but, but an important one we can see is that God wants his people to be different from the world around them and to be holy. So there's an understanding we need to have going into this, is that God is the only one who is worthy of worship. So worship, and and in the context of worship we're talking about, is when you verbally, so through word or through action, give praise or adoration to something. That's, That's the context of worship that we're understanding here. So God is the only one worthy of worship. We gotta remember that there was lots of cultures surrounding Israel at the time who worshiped a different God or even worshiped many different gods. And God wanted a cultural separation from the people of the world, from secular society, from the secular nations. So we're going to look at Deuteronomy 12 here. I'm going to just start in like 12.2. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, under every spreading tree, where the nations you are dispossessing worship, worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash down their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offerings and the firstborn of your heads herds and flocks there in the presence of the lord your god you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the lord your god has blessed you deuteronomy 12 isn't just another old testament law that we can gloss over and forget about but it expresses an important principle that's still applicable to our lives today and it is an invitation into the presence of God for each one of God's people. Each individual who's a part of the family of God. We call ourselves Jesus followers now. Each Jesus follower. This is an invitation into the presence of God. No longer, or it doesn't have to be a priest or an intercessor or someone going before you into the presence of God. But this is an invitation for each individual into the presence of God. So we have to think, before this, they worshipped at different altars around the different communities, tribes of Israel. Israel was broken up into tribes, family lines. So we see 
after Moses freed, after God freed the Israelites from Egypt, from captivity through Moses's ministry, they wandered in the desert. Well, you got to think moving a huge nation of people through an area, it's a slow process. And they had tents. They would set up tents. They didn't have houses because remember they were moving and they'd set up their tents and then they'd have these different sections. Naturally, people do that. So it what it was before what we're seeing this command here in Deuteronomy is that there were all these different altars and places of worship for the Israelites to sacrifice their sheep, their animals, and to worship God. Here's another important thing to remember. At this time, Jesus Christ had not yet died on the cross. And so we look back and we see the sacrifices, and it's a really taboo, weird thing to think about, of killing the perfect pure sheep and then sprinkling the blood on an altar, and then you got to eat the meat after you had done the sacrifice. That was where Israel was getting meat. So the implications of telling the Israelites that they could no longer sacrifice on their secondary altars around the community is that they now had really no way of eating meat and uh, at least to stay appropriate meat consumption. And and second, they they would have had to now travel from where they were to this altar, this specific location. Here's the thing. God's presence then was more or less tied to a specific location, the ark. This place was called the Tent of Meeting, and it's where God met with Moses while Israel was without a land to call their own. Remember, they had tents. They didn't have buildings or houses. They were not permanent residents. They were moving, so they they lived in tents. This place was called the Tent of Meeting, and that's that's where the presence of God was. So you have all these altars around, God doesn't want that anymore. Uh, Another idea why God might not have wanted that in the context of this chapter is talking about other nations is that it would be easy for other nations type of worship to infiltrate the communities and to influence them in their worship of God at these other altars. So God wanted to condense the people of Israel's worship into one place where they would do that. So that's why this Deuteronomy 12 is an invitation into the real presence of God for each one of God's people. No longer can they go through their lives doing worship, you know, and, and I'm sure it was beautiful. The heart was there. It was the right thing. But, you know, there's nothing that can substitute for the real presence of God. And God was really present in the tent of meeting with the ark at this altar where God's true presence was. So today, each one of us has access to God individually because he's no longer in the temple. Here's why. We look at sacrificing in the Old Testament and what it represented. We now know, looking back through the lens of the cross, that those sacrifices pointed toward Jesus They were a temporary thing. They were a placeholder because sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. Sin is just simply the separation from God. So when you commit a sin, when you're putting a separation, a break in the relationship between you and God, and the wages of that sin is death. You deserve death. Now, not just a physical death. We're all 
destined for physical death, but a spiritual death. So an animal would die in your place for that sin. It would because something has to die for the sin, an animal would be the sacrifice. Now we live in a time after the cross when the sacrifice of the Son of God, we have been made into suitable temples for the very presence of God to dwell through his Holy Spirit. That's pretty phenomenal because before God's presence was more or less tied to a specific location, the ark. Later on, it was the temple when they had their, na- when they had their land. You had to go to these places in order to worship. And our worship was made sufficient to God through sacrifice. Now, though, there has been the ultimate sacrifice. The wages of sin has been paid through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when we accept that salvation, when we accept that sacrifice, when we put Jesus on the throne of our hearts, we become the temple where the presence of God can dwell. The true, real, tangible presence of the Holy Spirit dwells in us when we become Jesus followers. And that's why our worship is worthy and suitable to God. Now, that's not even the main implication. And that's a huge implication for this text, for these concepts, for these principles. But that's not even the main implication on what it means for us today worship. How does that impact our worship today? So the people of Israel had to stop worshiping on what I keep calling secondary altars, and they had to come to the main altar where the presence of God was in order to worship. It also gave them permission to eat meat, wild game uh, that they harvest. But now worship was centralized. So he establishes, don't worship like the people around you, the sinful cultures around you. Don't worship in all these ways that they do. Uh, centralize it. Come to the tent of meeting. Come to the altar. Come to the temple and worship in the real presence of God. So this was a very significant chapter for them, and its principles are still very significant to us because we no longer have to go to the temple. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for all sin, and anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, calls upon the name of Jesus, that's the only way to the Father. There's no other way to be right with God. Not even sacrificing anymore. <laughs> because Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. And so it's a you're spitting in his face when you act like you can find your own salvation, make your own way in life. You can be sufficient without God. You're spitting in his face because he died on the cross for you. And the only way to the Father is through Jesus. Now, what does this mean for our worship today? What does this mean for our church services, for our gatherings, for what we expect to happen in worship? One, we expect that the true tangible presence of the Holy Spirit is with us. And when we call it out, when we focus on him, when we open our hearts to his presence, that we will sense him. And there will be activity of the Holy Spirit in our churches and in our lives. Second of all, this 
this centralizing call for all of them to come and worship at the temple, that should encourage us to want to be active and engaged and present in our local congregations. Because the people of Israel before this command, and even a little bit after, they were still worshiping at their different areas, and it was still part of the practice of a personal relationship with God, but God centralized it on his presence. And he said, I want you to be in my presence. Now, I just said, we're all temples. We all have the presence of God. So why should we have to go to church? Well, that's because when we worship on the outskirts, when we live on the outskirts, we don't get into community. We don't get into a church, a congregation, it's really easy for those outside secular forces to influence how we worship, to influence who we worship. And that was another main reason for God centralizing the worship of Israel, was to protect his people from those outside influences. Because God wants us to be holy, he wants us to be different. So now here we are, living in the time after Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So we have become temples where the presence of God dwells, we no longer have to sacrifice animals, that Jesus' death was the ultimate death for all of our death. We no longer are, are doomed to spiritual death, but we have been made alive in Christ. And finally, because we're all temples of God and his presence, it is extremely powerful to come together as believers and worship God together to be centralized in our praise and worship. And we do that, the way we live that out, is once a week on Sunday morning. For young adults, we do it also on Monday nights, uh, first Mondays. But we get to come together as individual temples of God's presence and worship together and call out His praise and call out His name and bring honor and glory to His name. And that's why it's important that you go to church. I'm... I'm not afraid to say it, and I'll keep harking on it. There's just far too many people who are okay with not going to church or who are okay with just watching church online. It is not a way to achieve longevity in your relationship with the Lord. If you want a vibrant, strong relationship with God, you need to be a part of a body of believers who are going to encourage you and challenge you, even for the simple fact that when all the all of us Human temples of God come together and worship and call upon his name. Amazing things happen. Hearts are changed. God moves when we call on his name. I hope that anyone who's listening to this is challenged to be a part of a body of believers, to be a part of your church, because you just going and attending isn't just going and attending. You are actively calling upon the name of God and active in worship and worshiping him. Because we're temples, we need to lead a lifestyle of worship. And it goes beyond just singing. It goes beyond just Sunday morning. But that doesn't mean it excludes singing. It excludes Sunday morning. That expression of worship is a very valid part. It's our sacrifice of praise. If living a life of worship is sacrifice, singing praise and worship is an offering. And so let's honor God. Let's, uh, let's worship together. Hope to see you at church on Sundays. We have first Mondays for young adults. And let's remember the duty and the call that God has put on our lives to not only be holy, 
and set apart, but to worship him. And he deserves every single breath, every single moment that we have to offer to him. So let's grow in that, grow in our worship. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.